Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. On this week's episode, I interviewed Joe Consorti. Uh, Joe, I came across his Twitter thread where he was discussing uh, multiple things, and it uh, it was very detailed and great. Um, but uh, we get into it during the podcast. So, uh, And he's now working with uh, the, the Bitcoin layer, um, Nick Batia and, the, and them. So, uh, you know, he's a he's one of these young uh 21 year old uh you know whiz kids that uh you know really knows what they're talking about whenever it comes to uh bitcoin and and he's uh, kind of new to the scene um but uh yeah i so i he talked about in his thread like bitcoin and the smp this de- decoupling a little bit slightly um you know just this past week um and then you know eth eventually failing and you know the worries about celsius and you know, just kind of all the stuff that's going on with the Fed fund rate and stuff like that and the two-year yields and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of things where he broke it out in his thread that was uh, made difficult things more simple for me to understand. And this is the Bitcoin Made Simple podcast. So I thought I'd have him on and uh, and actually have a backlog of interviews, but I want to put this one out um, ASAP as possible because... Um, because you know just the timeliness of you know what's going on in the market and help everybody kind of understand what's going on and plus uh the quantitative easing will be stopping uh two days after this episode airs so that being said i want to thank the bitbox o2 hardware wallet from shift crypto go to shiftcrypto.ch slash bitcoin made simple use bitcoin made simple to get five percent off it's also brought to you by Movies Plus. That's my streaming platform. And we appreciate all of you that have signed up and are watching the documentaries and the different movies on there. And we're adding new stuff constantly. And there's obviously Bitcoin documentaries left and right coming to the platform. So there's about five of them up there now. We're adding more. Um, and you sign up, you can do a free trial. And also it's commercial free. So you know you don't have to deal with all that junk on the other platforms. And uh, if you want to you know, give a, uh, you know, big uh you know check against uh, netflix why don't you just uh, cancel netflix and join movies plus um but anyways so i hope you guys enjoy this episode and um if you want to follow me just follow me Corey underscore tusik on twitter and you can email the show bitcoin made simple podcast at gmail.com thanks Um, and as I was saying beforehand, for anyone that is watching on the YouTube, I like to say the YouTube because when I'm dealing with young kids like Joe and Consorti, I feel like the really, really old man. Um, but uh, if, if you're looking on YouTube and you see my blotchy skin, it is because I planted 10 arborvitas and evidently I'm allergic. Um, and I'm having an allergic reaction to uh, to <laughs> Arborvitae. So I didn't take Benadryl yet because I didn't want to fall asleep during our talk. So <laughs> anyways, um, how are you doing, Joe? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, pretty long day today. A uh, lot, lot to do. It was a day of more productivity than I generally get because during the summer, I love spending a lot of time outside in the sun and I, I, I get carried away at uh, but today it was a little bit rainy, and so I, I got some work done for the Bitcoin layer, and uh, we're mostly chilling. How about yourself? Uh, same, same. The weather was kind of meh today. Um, where, if you don't want to dox yourself, that's fine, but whereabouts on the East Coast are you? Yeah, no problem. I'm pretty out and out about it. Not necessarily the best OPSEC, but whatever at this point. Uh, I'm from Boston, just north, one of the suburbs a little bit north of Boston. Okay, okay. Um yeah, so the uh, I mean, you don't. I'm in Pittsburgh, so we don't have uh, 
you know, we have a little bit more gloomy weather from time to time. Um, so yeah, it was uh, not the not the start to the Memorial Day weekend I thought we were going to have, but you know, is what it is. So you're um, one of these young whiz kids that, uh, <laughs> like, I mean, I so, so you're you put on your profile, you're 21 years old. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this may this sounds like I I said the same thing to um to Dylan Leclaire. Like uh, I was like, you're closer in age to my son than you are to me, which is mind blowing. Like, I mean, I'm 36, so, like, I shouldn't be that old. But, like, it just feels like, I mean, you know, it's just like you're, like, all of a sudden you're, like, oh, my God, I'm I'm ancient. Um, okay. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, but um, so I saw your thread uh, the other day. I think it was yesterday that you put out. Um, and I want to get into that, but, and uh, I'll, I'll explain it to listeners as we get there. So if you haven't seen Joe, uh, just look him up on Twitter and, and look at the the thread. Um, but uh, we'll do a good job of following, uh, you know, following through that. Um, but first of all, what is your background? Because uh, as a young buck, I mean, I see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood framed on the wall there. So that must mean you're a film person. Yeah, to some degree. I, I like Quentin Tarantino films. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is definitely my favorite one. Uh, oh, definitely. I, I rewatched it recently, and my my I make playlists for like the months uh, on Spotify. My May 2022 is mostly the soundtrack from that film. Uh, but I, I try not to watch too many movies nowadays. Uh, but that's definitely one of my favorite ones. So that's why I have it framed. Uh, my background: um, for, former Dunkin' Donuts employee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It, going way, way back, a former cart pusher at Market Basket. That was the first job that I had uh, when I was 14 for my birthday. My dad, who's downstairs right now, currently in my parents' attic, uh, moved back home from college. He uh, got me a job application for Market Basket, local, local grocery store when I was 14. And then I pushed carts there until I was 16. And then when I was 16, I started working at Dunks and you know, learning how to pour coffee into a cup. And I went to my first year of college up in Vermont. And I was originally going to study medicine, but I want I, I, I turned to studying business because I've always enjoyed talking to people. And I figured that it'd be much easier to monetize my ability to talk to people through going into business. Didn't necessarily know what concentration I wanted to go down, but I, I figured not being a pediatrician and, and you know going through 12 years of schooling would be the best bet. And so I did that. Uh, I took a bunch of finance and economics courses, and then we got sent home for COVID. Unfortunate, you know, March 2020. And in that time, there's actually a local business down in Boston that provides uh, capital to college students and mentorship for them to start a small business. And so I started a small painting company, and I did that for two years, and I ended up doing over 350k in revenue. Oh wow. I still put in my bio one day I'll have enough stuff to put in the bio. So I don't have that there, but right now I, I really like to have that as one of the shining achievements. Cause I really like having cool sentences under my belt and that's one of my favorite sentences. And so I did that for the last two summers and I had a lot of capital to deploy obviously from, from that amount of revenue. And so one of my buddies, Tyler LaRoche, who now works at Bitcoin magazine during 2020, uh, in October of that year, I, as I said, I had all this capital to deploy and I had been pretty disenchanted with the, the election 
Uh, now I'm not necessarily political as political as I was during the 2020 election cycle, but Tyler noticed me posting a whole bunch of stuff, outraged on Instagram or whatever. And he sent me two articles, uh, The Masters and Slaves of Money by Robert Breedlove and The Bullish Case for Bitcoin by Vijay Boyapati. I read both of those. I was hooked, you know, thousands of hours later, you know, redacted amount of dollars deployed into Bitcoin. And uh, here we are. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, I think 2020 was pretty transformative for a lot of us. Um, so wait, so that was your freshman year of college? Yeah. That COVID happened? Oh, my God. Like, I, I feel so bad for all you guys because um, if anyone's been, you know, a, a listener to the podcast, any of the, my listeners that have been here from the beginning, they know that I loved college. And I had, I had a great time in college, so much so that I, you know, purposely added a fifth year of el- eligibility for hockey um, and spread out my credits so that I could, uh, you know, get a four year degree over five years and, and play some extra hockey and, and have, uh, you know, delay the real world there for an extra year. But um, so I feel bad for you guys that had to deal with that. But uh, yeah, so it, you got into, I mean, you said you're not political anymore. And I kind of get that. F- I'm like that way too. I think I've been probably a little apolitical a little bit longer than the last election, but like this last one, it just, it just really pulled back. Like my theory with, you know, and I'm not like making accusations or anything, but like my, my theory on why people hated Trump so much is because, um, because he held a mirror up to all of the politicians. Like he's like, you know, like a sleazeball and like a, you know, uh, a, a, not a good person let's just say you know he's like it's not a stand-up individual um and and he held a mirror up it was basically him holding up a mirror to all the other politicians the media everybody that's corrupt and they didn't like what they saw you know they didn't like to see how ugly they are on the inside um and so i think that's why they were kind of flipping out that way but um yeah i I don't know it's just this power grab that has happened and and it kind of coincided with you know, a lot of people like you finding Bitcoin. So you get into Bitcoin right after the election, I assume, or like that winter, like as it's kind of getting up towards the the all time high again. Exactly. Yeah. So just before the huge run up to 64, which we hit for the first time in, you know, May 2021, it was price was right around 9,500. Last I remember when I started really, really heavily putting, you know, putting dollars in there. And it was, yeah, it was, it was just before the, the outcome of the election. So I'd say like middle of October, I was, mm-hmm. I was one of those people that, that really gets heated up and starts posting all their favorite platitudes on their Instagram story. Like anybody cares. And now that I've sort of, uh, I've distanced myself from that over the last year, every time some major cultural or political event happens, I look at those sorts of posts and I cringe like, oh my God, that's what I used to do. I used to be completely outraged for this side or outraged for this side. And essentially it's just, you know, a week of posting your favorite platitudes and offering nothing of your own. And then you forget about it. And you just become a customer of that cycle. And I'm happy I found Bitcoin when I did, because it allowed me to sort of, uh, like you you mentioned, Trump held up a mirror to politicians. Uh, Bitcoin allowed, you know, myself to hold up a mirror uh to 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 the way that i was acting i guess and uh it it sort of allowed me to to understand wait a second right 
politicians in general, right, the state, and the, the fact that they have control of the printing press, um, that, that's sort of the root of all evil right there. It isn't necessarily red or blue, but it's more so central banking. And so now that's the, that's the enemy of, of turning my attention to with Bitcoin per se. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I like about Bitcoiners in general. We're all pushing for truth. You know, like because Bitcoin is immutable truth. It, it is truth that cannot be changed. Um, and I, you know, so it's like the common denominator between all, you know, Bitcoin maxis. Um, now, before we get into the, the meat of your thread, um, did you have a shitcoin phase? Um, like I always say, anybody, even if you're currently a shitcoiner, no, no shame because everyone is on their own individual unique path to becoming a Bitcoin maximalist. You're just at different, very, some, some people have shorter paths, some are longer, some are windier. Um, did you, I mean, I, I, I dumped, I'm 15 months clean or something like that. I said uh, 15 months without an ETH, uh, you know, or anything like that. So did you have your phase too? I didn't know. I'm, I'm very happy. To oh be. man, you're, you're a rare breed that you went right in. I'd have to say so from what I've heard, uh, you know, especially uh, uh, from what I've heard during 2017, uh, during that ICO bubble, alts were definitely like in the paradigm way more than they are today. And today, now that, you know, Bitcoin maximalists really proliferate the space and I tried to do my part to contribute to that, we, we sort of call it like it is, but, uh, I, I guess it was much more, uh, you know, much more the paradigm back in 2017, altcoins. But for me, it wasn't. I think because I was very staunchly political to, to one side coming into the election cycle, I, I recognized the utility value of Bitcoin. I, I focused on that more so than anything else. And then thankfully I did. And I got enough, you know, education in me to, by, by the time I, I had learned about all these different, you know, many different altcoins, I was able to sort of delineate that in my mind. Um, mm -hmm. and not consider them one and the same, but rather as, you know, two separate things. So thankfully no, no shit coin face for me. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, so you're, what, what kind of work are you doing in the Bitcoin space? Um, you know, let people know, cause I mean, you're pretty, your thread is pretty thorough, um, and pretty, you know, uh, well thought out and a lot of, uh, a lot of information in there. So you're not just, uh, you know, just uh, somebody that's shit posting like uh, me and others that, you know, just make up memes and, you know, kind of <laughs> go with the flow. Thank you very much. Yeah. Right now I'm, uh, I'm working with Nick Batia on building out the Bitcoin layer, which as it exists right now is uh, his Substack that he's been posting on for uh, since September, I believe. And we're working on building that out. And we, we're going to have some projects to announce in the next uh, next week or so here, which is very exciting. But personally, I do, uh, I'm essentially a research associate. And so I do research into, um, you know, financial markets as well as Bitcoin markets and, and really try to synthesize uh, and, and educate everything having to do with uh, the macro landscape and, and how that impacts Bitcoin. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let's, let's get into your thread. Um, and... And basically, uh, to the first thing that grabbed my attention was you mentioned how the Bitcoin and the S and P were decoupling, um, and I, you know, we all we all said that was going to happen eventually, um, but like you said, not the decoupling I was promised. Um, so, what do you see going on in the market right now, and what do you what do you see as happening um, to Bitcoin? Because to be honest, it's weird to me. Like I kind of like earlier today was sitting there going like, really, we're in like the 28K range. Like that's insane. It's great. I wish I had more capital to buy, but like 
I was on zero. So like, this is it ride or die. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, I was like, I just can't believe we're still here. And you know, it is what it is, what it is, but it's, it's kind of a weird market right now. So shed your insight on what you're seeing. I agree. It's absolutely a weird market right now. And basically what you're looking at on this uh, image here is the rolling correlation between Bitcoin and the S&P 500. And this is just a, a one week moving average of the correlation. So it's not doing, you know, the, the difference on this day and the difference on this day. It smooths out the correlation uh, on a weekly basis. And so uh, on that weekly basis, um, you can see that the correlation between the two flip negative. And basically what you're seeing market wide right now is equities puking any risky asset essentially puking um, as rates across the board are increasing. Uh, treasuries are really running the show, right? So treasuries are selling off pretty precipitously as a result of the prolonged high inflation. And so basically, you know, capital is fleeing the system. And what happens is that these assets that are considered riskier relative to the, the safest investments, i.e. treasuries and gold, right? You know, we hate to say it, but mm -hmm. uh, hard assets, commodities, um, all of them puke, capital runs away from these things. And so we, we saw this decoupling to the downside. I wouldn't consider this anything, you know, incredibly significant in terms of, you know, taking a look at this and, and, and using it to, to project out into the future what could be happening here. I think it's just as simple as liquidity needs to be drawn from the system. Bitcoin is a 24-7-365 liquid market. And, you know, as people get margin called in waves across the economy, they can withdraw cash from Bitcoin more so than they can the S&P 500 index. Um, with the S&P, another dynamic that you observe is because rates are rising uh, market-wide, Fed funds doesn't actually matter. And we'll, you know, at this stage in the cycle, and we'll get into that a little bit later on in the thread, it's, it's mostly treasuries. And so treasuries selling off across the board, particularly the two-year, is basically setting interest rates um, you know, that, that companies can borrow at economy-wide. And as those increase, companies who are very heavily debt financed and their ability to operate well is completely incumbent on their ability to roll their debt financing, they start to go insolvent, right? As the debt, debt financing costs increase, um, you, you see a series of sort of that bad debt. When I say bad debt, I mean debt that can't be serviced at, you know, 2%, 2.5%, wherever the, the two-year is now. So objectively, that's like really bad debt. That's getting essentially, you know, purged from the economy. Um, you know, the, the borrower, they default on their debt, the debt asset disappears, that liquidity is gone forever. That's basically what you're seeing. And that's another dynamic uh, because in the S&P 500, there are some heavily debt, finan debt finance companies, uh, particularly you've seen tech stocks uh, sell off pretty badly. Um, the NASDAQ has taken even more heat than the S&P as a result of you know, the, the fact that it's more heavily uh, tech weighted. And so that's essentially what you're seeing happen right now, right? Um, the Federal Reserve is fighting inflation and in order to fight inflation, they have no problem destroying these overvalued financial assets. And Bitcoin, because it's traded by institutional allocators the same way as these risk on assets, uh, it takes a hit with them in the short term. Um, yeah, and by the way, this, just literally popped into my mind and this this sounds like i have add which you know i kind of do um but uh we have the same uh closet <laughs> like oh, the, yeah, yeah. like the same exact closet doors behind us 
Incredible. Would you look at that? Yeah, no, Northeast homes aren't very creative. This is something, this is something I, I, it's I such a fiat about. thing. It is a very fiat thing. And I, I got right up close and personal when they're doing painting jobs, any house that was built after like 1998 looks the exact same in terms of so only in the last like five years, has it gotten even more simplistic and fiat. Every single house interior has the exact same trim, the exact same doors. Uh, th these aren't even doors that are, you know, actual wood. They're just particle board. Yep. Right? Punch right through that thing if you wanted to. Um, yeah, you know, with the the fake wood grain on it, and you know, it's unbelievable. And it's getting worse too. Literally, a buddy of mine is a real estate agent, and on Instagram, he posted uh, a house that he's showing over in Methuen, uh, which is another suburb. It's it's literally a box. It's like it's a box. No, you know, no roof whatsoever, no dormer, no gables, nothing. It's just a box, and it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I know it, it. It is hard. I mean, we moved in here. We we bought this house in December and um, and it took forever for us to, to find where we wanted to go because like you said, we were like, we were like, we're not just going to like buy a house, like just to buy it, you know? And now I'm seeing like my brother-in-law and sister-in-law go through that. And they were like, you know, it's just really hard to find something that isn't just very fiat -y, you know? Like, I mean, it, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of things on the interior here that, that are you know just old school you know standard northeastern house um but uh but we, once we found ours it has like wraparound porch and stuff but uh but even still like we were like it's this is as unique as it gets and we still are gonna have to like do things over the years like we look at it and we're like okay in the next 10 years these are things we're gonna do to add character to the house so it's not just cookie cutter but uh anyways so back to <laughs> it was totally random and i feel bad because it was right at the i had all kinds of thoughts and it was right at the end of your thought and it hit me and i'm sitting there like oh my god those are the same exact doors but uh, i guess it's not as rare so so bitcoin took a hit um and the smp what jumped uh well i mean i'm looking through the thread here so the smp jumped what six percent six percent so i didn't put a percent value in there and uh, you know when you're creating these threads, one of the things you have to keep in mind is like 280 characters. And if you go through the thread, I believe, uh, you know, 14 or 13 out of the 15 used all 280. And so um, not enough room for percentage, but it jumped a couple of points compared to the BTC. I wouldn't necessarily use that as like alarms going off in my head that, you know, Bitcoin is, is forever moving to the downside. You're still going to see capital run away from these overvalued equities. They're, they're, you know, they, they could continue puking, they could not continue puking, but ultimately people are going to want to allocate to this scarce digital bearer instrument more and more and more as time goes on. Um, you know, if, if I had zoomed out, this would be, you know, you, you wouldn't even be able to draw, derive any conclusions from the chart. And so I think that, you know, it, it decoupling to the downside on one day, it's an interesting thing, but, you know, I don't lend it a whole, a whole lot of credence. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Um, so now getting into, um, all right, so the, you're saying the the Bitfinex longs are ridiculously high. Um, that means a lot of people are entering in, saying this is the bottom, and I'm gonna put I'm gonna leverage my stack uh, to go long on Bitcoin. Is that what you're saying? And by the way, so you know, if you haven't listened to the show before, I go smooth brain, and <laughs> um, and and I and I go caveman, uh, you know, explanation here. So. If I sound like an idiot, it is because I am in the movie industry. I don't understand finances at all. Um, but anyways, go. <laughs> That's where I, I love movies as well. Yesterday I was watching 
Jackie Brown for the first time, another Quentin Tarantino film. The, the only Excellent. one that I have. Either way, uh, yeah. So bid for next longs right now are, are ridiculously high. Looking at the chart here, um, forty thousand all the way up to to eighty five, eighty five thousand six hundred twenty one um, bananas, if you ask me. But basically, the reason that this is happening, um, or, or the reason why you see this huge green candle in longs, and I, and I wrote here, leverage has entered the chat. Um, there are two things. So the funding rate is incredibly low right now. So longs don't have to pay shorts. And that's the second chart that I included, right? Um, the funding rate is essentially, uh, if, it's in, if it's positive, then longs have to pay shorts to enter a perpetual contract. And if it's negative, vice versa. And this was something that was created, I believe, by Bitfinex when they introduced the uh, perpetual futures vehicle. Um, unlike other futures that have uh, a maturity date, or not a maturity date, a delivery date in the future, uh, these roll over every eight hours, right? Because Bitcoin is a 24 7, 365 liquid instrument. And so what you're seeing with these longs is they're just, they're whales, obviously, right? In order to enter you know, this uh, yeah. amount of contracts, you have to have a lot of capital. And so they're just, they're, they're doing two things. So they're taking advantage of that really, really low funding rate. So they don't have to pay shorts a whole lot to enter into a perpetual contract, but they're also gaining exposure without having to use as much fiat, right? Uh, if they were going long Bitcoin, right? They, they wouldn't be able to go as long as they are here, right? Futures are, are leveraged vehicles. And so essentially what you can do is you could sell your Bitcoin, right? which I know not a lot of us do. And then they just take that cash and they go long Bitcoin, right? So they get exposure because ultimately you see longs, you know, crazy pour into the market, chances are they're predicting this is a bottom, right? And so they're predicting the price is, is going to go up. They want to get exposure to Bitcoin, um, but they they free up some cash flow in order to uh, you know essentially sell spot and then uh, go along a futures position. So they can still get that exposure, um, but not with nearly as much fiat down, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'd love to think this is the bottom. Uh and you know hope that they they're well for their sake i mean i don't really care what they happens to them but uh you know for the sake of everyone involved you know it'd be great if bitcoin started mooning but um you know you you bring up like the the fed fund rates and the the two year and everything like that and it's something that i've been thinking about a lot um and actually you know kind of like positioning things in my own world around the idea that like they can't let inflation get out of control. Like the Fed has to, they have to, I mean, I mean, it's this weird convergence, you know, and by the way, again, this is smooth brain caveman economics, but like, you know, they can, they raise interest rates in order to slow inflation or bring it down, um, which they have to do. But they're tasked with this impo impossible, uh, it's this impossible task to do when you simultaneously have um, inflation just pushing and pushing harder um, where actually it's kind of like, from my view, from my dumb view, it looks like it's basically like a perpetual cycle where like the one accelerates the other and it keeps going and keeps going and keeps going to the point where they're going to just collide and that's when everything's going to implode. Is that kind of what is going on? So, so not quite, but there's uh, one thing you said is, is kind of correct in that, you know, it, if inflation is incredibly high, like very, very, very high and inflation lags, if inflation is incredibly high before the Fed starts raising its policy rate, 
then things can get a whole lot worse, right? Because the market is so very much propped up on this cheap debt, right? And money gets lent into existence. And so when inflation is incredibly high, uh, you know, prices are through the roof, there's essentially way too much demand chasing not nearly enough supply. And so what does that tell you? It tells you that that newly created access to money and credit was not invested productively, right? Inflation wouldn't be out of control if people took that access to capital and invested it productively in their business and they got gains to productivity, for example. Instead of buying a bunch of trampolines like I saw around my old neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it it becomes a whole lot worse when, you know, CPI is eight or 9% and then the Fed begins hiking as opposed to if CPI was, let's say, 4% which already is 100% higher than their inflation target of 2%, uh, but they chose to begin hiking when inflation was already at 7%, I believe it was reported in March before they started their first uh, uh, increase on the policy rate. So one, th- th- that's the thing that you said that was correct in that um, you know, if inflation is higher, then it, it makes it all the more difficult to achieve a, a soft landing when the Fed starts tightening access to credit if inflation is, is crazy high through the roof. This episode is brought to you by the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet from Shift Crypto. Go to shiftcrypto.ch slash Bitcoin made simple to get yourself a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. Use the promo code Bitcoin made simple to get 5% off. And you guys know that you need to get your co- your coins, your keys off the exchanges. Uh, Coinbase right now is actually getting sued. And Joe talked about it in this episode, either before or after this ad. He talks about how Coinbase is getting sued for hosting uh, 70 plus unregistered securities. Um, and we also get into it later on here in the episode about uh, Celsius and uh, their problems and how they're desperate for liquidity. Do you know what that means? That means that they are going to, they're using your Bitcoin on the exchanges. So if you take it off and you put it on a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet, guess what? They can't touch it. They can't mess with it. Nobody can touch it ever again. You can put it on your little Bitbox O2 hardware wallet that looks fantastic. It's sleek. It's a great design, very user-friendly. It's simple to set up, and you will be secure in your finances in no time. Again, shiftcrypto.ch slash Bitcoin made simple. Use the promo code Bitcoin made simple to get 5% off. Yeah. And I mean, it's basically, it's almost like a, it's like they're squeezing a brake. It feels like the, it's like a, like a handbrake on a bike that's like just like getting so hot because you're like you're going so fast and it's like they're like all right i have to i have to touch it again i have to squeeze that brake just a little bit you know and it might throw somebody off the back of the bike but uh you know you got to go because i mean people are getting absolutely um absolutely <laughs> squished um <laughs> <laughs> just made me think i saw did you ever see new girl whenever winston describes somebody getting squished like somebody got like crushed by a car and he says they got squished just totally beside the point <laughs> made myself laugh but um but people were getting destroyed um but the fed doesn't care about that like they don't they don't care that uh you know your your uh 401k is getting killed so i mean what do you think is their end game here yeah, so I think my expectation and most other people's expectation of what happens here, if you zoom out and you take a very wide look at the federal funds rate, which can give you a broad overview of, of the prevailing market interest rates, um, you've, the Fed has been hitting a lower and lower and lower and lower bound every single time they lower the policy rate in response to something breaking, right? 
um, in response to uh, some sort of deflationary recession. And the one that we're about to, rent, to enter into, the policy rate has been at zero for 14 years, apart from when the Fed tried to hike briefly, which is what that graph is, when the Fed tried to hike briefly from 2016 to 2019, and then they had to pump the brakes because uh, investors were saying, whoa, 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 right? Um, and, and treasuries were getting bit up through the roof, so much so that yields fell back through the Fed funds rate. And so now, in response to this next deflationary recession, right, as they tighten access to capital, obviously that, that leads to deflation. And that's what they're trying to do. They're, they're, they, they need to make, you know, the, the, the Fed, their, their mandate essentially with monetary policy, one of their mandates is to maintain stable prices, right? And so in trying to maintain stable prices, they're, they're crashing the global economy. Um, and, and it's, I mean, it's something that they have to do in response to this. What do I think the end game is? Well, there are a couple of things. So I mentioned their policy rate has been at 0% for the last 14 years to stimulate the economy, right? After this, this recession we're about to experience, they can't lower interest rates below the zero lower bound, right? They can't. And so, okay, it's difficult to simulate demand from that standpoint. Another way that they can stimulate demand, right, is through quantitative easing, through buying financial assets, through debt monetization, um, buying treasuries and other dollar-denominated financial assets to inject liquidity into uh, into banks and also into the United States government. And so we've already been doing that, and we haven't stopped. Uh, we're about to stop on June first. Uh, you know, uh, three days from now, four days from now, uh, you're going to see what happens when the Fed stops injecting liquidity to the economy. They actually start selling some of those financial assets off. To, to remove some of that liquidity from the economy. And so they'll, they'll ultimately have to reverse course. Uh, but the funny thing you're seeing now is we're entering into a recession when they haven't stopped giving out, you know, essentially creating money to inject liquidity into these banks. Um, and so a recession with money printing. Yeah. So what's been happening is sort of this, this massive scheme of huge moral hazard because the banks know that, the, the end game here is they're going to have to continue. Per, the, the Fed's going to have to re-up and continue buying financial assets in order to keep the economy afloat. And so the banks know, and increasingly people on Twitter know, that the solution for this will be to slam the policy rate back down to zero right, once we enter into a huge deflationary spiral. Uh, their mandate will be to increase QE tenfold or whatever and continue pumping these banks with liquidity. Uh, and when that doesn't work to stimulate demand enough, there are a couple things they can do. They can introduce a CBDC where there are negative interest rates, which is mm -hmm. the Fed's dream, because you're essentially in that scenario, you're, for, you're, you're like a forced consumer because you're getting paid to borrow. Instead of having to pay somebody to borrow, right, with a the, with the positive interest rate, you're getting paid to borrow. And that's what a CBDC could enable. And so it forces everybody to be a forced consumer. That can stimulate demand. Um, and, and oh gosh, what was the, what was the other method that, that they could go down? I mean, just general helicopter money. That's the other, that's the other, that's monetary policy three that Ray Dalio talks about um, in his book, Principles for Navigating Big Debt Crisis. Uh, it, helicopter money, we saw it during COVID when the global economy screeched to a halt and this time it, it in all likelihood isn't going to be for some you know black swan contagion event like COVID-19 uh it'll it'll be just this huge deflationary bust you know they can't send helicopter money to your mailbox to help stimulate demand um but what would make it even more convenient is a CBDC um where where they could essentially just inject you directly with money instead of having to purchase financial assets from banks to inject them with liquidity which 
you know, lowers their uh, interest rate that they charge end consumers, and then consumers can go spend uh, that, that money now that the cost of capital is lower at an individual level, they can literally just give you money directly. And that's the Fed's dream. So the end game here is in response to the next deflationary bust as a result of rates rising beyond what the economy can handle, the Fed is going to stimulate demand any way possible. And helicopter money seems to be uh, definitely in the cards. Um, so things are going to get tight here before get worse here before we get a little bit better. And by the way, this is not financial advice to anybody. And, you know, I'm not asking you to predict things, but I'm just reading the macro of what's been going on. And I'm like, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. This just seems a little bearish to me. (laughs) Potentially. I mean, one of the, one of the things that I wrote in the thread is that markets may have already done the majority of the puking. And that is to say that the reason that treasuries are catching a bit, the reason that the two-year yield is falling, um, and, and yields and the price of bonds are inversely related, um, it's duration rule for people who might not be as familiar with fixed income markets. The reason that treasuries are catching a bit is because investors are pricing in lower inflation, right? They're pricing in the effects of tightening. They're more likely to buy a bond, right? If they anticipate that at maturity, that bond will have a coupon that's positive, right? In, in real terms. Um, that is to say, you know, their, their annual coupon will be higher than inflation. So the market is, is telling you when, when these bonds catch a bit, uh, which they are across all maturities, the two year more so than most, that markets may already be pricing in inflation. And that's, you know, uh, a pretty good sign, right? If they can absorb um, this level of rate hikes and, and cool inflation off to a good level, then potentially the Fed you know, will will stabilize and, and, and they won't hike and they'll, they'll, they'll leave the policy rate at a certain level um, until some other sort of contagion event uh, causes them to slam the policy rate back out of zero. But for the time being, um, it, you know, we, we could be, we could be all right, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they, you don't think, oh, well, all right. So you brought it up but this bears repeating because, um, you know, QE was something, I mean, a lot of people were talking about it, but I, the first person I saw, I heard uh, talk about it um, in my podcasting journey, you know, like two, uh, three years ago or whatever, it was uh, Preston Pish was talking about it. And I'm like, oh my God, like, what the hell is this? Like, I, I actually told him, I said, I stopped the lawnmower. I was cutting the grass, stopped the lawnmower, started Googling quantitative easing. And I was like, they they're just printing money like what do you like oh my god you know and so they've been doing that but in three days and i'm going to release this on monday so you know it'll be two days from when this is released on june 1st they're stopping so what happens whenever they stop injecting the liquidity into the market so it's another measure that's being used to bring down inflation. So when banks have more readily available access to capital, um, they're, they're more inclined to lend it out, right? Uh, and they're more inclined to lend it out for, you know. Really cheap. Yeah, for, for things that might not necessarily be profitable. Um, there's a scene in the movie, Yes Man, with Jim Carrey, uh, where essentially, and, and this is, not having to do anything to do with quantitative easing, but people are coming into the bank and asking for loans to, to get a motorcycle and uh, you know to, to, to go jet skiing. And things like that happen when banks have just 
you know, readily available access to capital. And that's what quantitative easing is. And so banks are more inclined to lend to one another at a low rate and banks are more inclined to lend to customers at, at a lower rate, right? At a slight premium to the policy rate. And increasing the federal funds rate, which is, it's not quantitative easing, it's, it's uh, interest rate monetary policy. They're tightening the, they're, they're basically increasing the interbank lending rate. So the Fed is saying, okay, you can lend to you for, you know, a higher amount than you could previously. And so essentially banks tighten their belt. And when quantitative tightening occurs, it's just another method of getting banks to tighten their belt. Um, so, so essentially it's just, it's, it's removing this liquidity from the system. Banks are less inclined to lend to people. Uh, and essentially it, it's sort of like a market-wide check uh, to say, okay, we gave you, uh, you know, two and some odd years of, unfettered quantitative easing coupled with interest rates at or near 0%. Did you invest productively? And the, the amount of time that it takes for markets to puke following quantitative tightening will show us whether or not markets invested that new capital productively. And I have a feeling that they didn't, right? I think more and more people are catching on to the monetary endgame here of the, the Fed being uh, caught between a rock and a hard place. The rock being deflationary debt spiral, where uh, there, there's this huge default cascade uh, across the, the world, right? Because the dollar-denominated debt is one of our biggest exports. Um, you know, as people can't service those, you know, countries go insolvent, not just businesses. And so they're caught between the rock, which is that deflationary debt spiral, and the hard place, which is an inflationary spiral, right? A hyperinflationary spiral where, okay, um, you know, the dollars are essentially the oil that runs the world financial system, not just here, but abroad. And so we have an obligation to uh, once, once something breaks, right, once all these emerging markets start defaulting on their dollar-denominated debt and this sovereign debt bubble burst, which to some, to some degree it already is, then they'll have to completely reverse course and start printing dollars, right? And, and that is to say that lower no interest rates, ramp up that quantitative easing, figure out new and unique ways of stimulating demand. That's the Fed's rock and hard place. And I think because more people are catching on to that, people have no problem investing unproductively because they know that, okay, as soon as this deflationary bust happens, the Fed's going to be turning right around. Mm -hmm. Yep. More, uh, they're going to fire up that helicopter, go out and just start throwing the money. Um, okay. And so, um, before, you know, as we wrap, I don't want to hold you too long because you're, you start working at five o'clock in the morning. So Holy cow. Um, uh, You'll find out someday uh, if you have kids that uh, you don't know when your day is going to start. So it could be three o'clock. It could be five o'clock. It could be in 45 minutes. Who knows? Um, or they surprise you sometimes and they sleep till like nine o'clock and you're like, what the hell happened? Um, and you're kind of like terrified for a second. You're like, something's wrong. Um, but anyway, so with ETH and Bitcoin. Um, so like you said, you did not get in you did not have a shit coining phase so bravo to you you uh you stand you know among a very few that uh, didn't touch that uh that slimy stuff um but you mentioned how this is you know potentially the the end of eth you know and and like how all all of these shit coins eventually collapse um so what's making you think that's going to happen because i mean we all believe it will happen I hope it happens tomorrow, um, but I don't know when it's going to happen. Absolutely. So there are a number of factors to go into it, but I'll start with price action. That is price. Price is truth fundamentally. 
that's something Nick Batia has, has, you know, beat into everybody's heads over the course of the last couple of years. He autographs every book saying price is truth. And that's the number one uh, piece of the Bitcoin layers value framework is that price is truth. Um, the, the way that things are trading gives you more insight into investor sentiment than any other indicator out there. And so right now, what do you see? And, and we'll go into more detailed explanation beyond price action in a second. But with ETH BTC, it's been in this uptrend, uh, a secular uptrend since uh, April of 2021. And as of this month, so the month of May 2022, right? It has the first uh, red candle well below that uptrend. And so what is that indicating to you? Well, Bitcoin is strengthening against Ethereum. Who is the marginal buyer for Ethereum? Somebody posted it earlier today, and I'm remiss for not recalling who it was or, or what it was all about. But the gist of it was that there's far more sellers across the Ethereum network. And, and remember, Ethereum is you know the, this coin that runs atop the Ethereum protocol stack. But there are many, many applications that are that are built into Ethereum. A lot of shit coins, they, they use Ethereum as a network in order to issue their token uh, and, and run atop of it. So Ethereum, right, a collapse of Ethereum would essentially mean, you know, Similar to credit contagion uh, uh, across the world when dollars get too expensive and the cost of dollars also uh, rises too much, people begin defaulting on their debts. When the price of Ethereum gets to a certain point and uh, some of these larger investors across the ecosystem, um, because Ethereum ha has its hand in so many other shit coins, um, people just start pouring out on Moss. And one of the things that's actually very, very interesting right now is Coinbase is under a lawsuit for 70 plus unregistered securities. And I've been beating the drum. Basically, everybody on Bitcoin Twitter is maximalist has been beating the drum that, look, Bitcoin is commodity money. Everything else is, a, you know, everything else is an unregistered security. There isn't a lot of secure regulatory clarity on these things as of yet. You know, they have a verified check mark on Twitter. They're tech companies, right? At the end of the day, they're yep. tech companies who didn't have a good enough idea to raise uh, and to raise capital on the public market through an IPO. And so they decided, hey, let's do this ICO thing. Let's issue a token. And that's what you're seeing. And so all of these things are so interconnected. And that's why Nick wrote uh, Insiders Always Dump. That's why we, we've been really banging the drum on this ETH BTC pair as essentially the, the barometer for uh, shit coins, right? It's essentially mm -hmm. like a shit coin lifeline. Uh, if ETH BTC is to continue going the way that it is, that could be the death knell for crypto broadly. Uh, you know, it, it certainly wouldn't be the end of it. There would absolutely be snake oil salesmen up until the very end, right? When you have something as large as, uh, you know, as paradigm shifting as Bitcoin, they're always going to be imitators. But Ethereum being half of Bitcoin's market cap, that completely evaporating, not only from a regulatory standpoint, would, would people, would, would regulators jump in uh, and really begin providing regulatory clarity on this because so much liquidity would just evaporate. Um, but also it, it'd be much more difficult for another crypto, crypto, right? Air quotes mm -hmm. rise again after that. And so that's why we sort of use this EBTC pair as like a barometer for not only Bitcoin dominance, but sort of, you know, Ethereum's lifeline and in crypto's lifeline. And one of the things you'll notice similar to, uh, you know, um, an EKG, oh gosh, what is the, the heart monitor? Um, you know, yeah, how, the EKG. Yeah. Similar to how when somebody is, is passing away, right? Their heartbeats are fewer and not as powerful and further between. Take a look at the Ethereum Bitcoin chart and tell me it doesn't look exactly that way. 
a little bit more poetic than price action ask, but mm -hmm. definitely something to consider. It's something that we're going to have in our framework for uh, months to come, maybe years to come. But frankly, I doubt Ethereum has that long. Again, not financial advice, just what the price is telling us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you own ETH, it's uh, that's, you know, your mistake and you got to get uh, you got to get on that. Um, take care of that. Get rid of that ETH buy your Bitcoin and uh, put it on a Bitcoin, a BitBox O2 hardware wallet. Uh, thanks. Shout out to our sponsor. But yeah, no, no, no. And they, they know, uh, you know, I told them, I said, I only use one hardware wallet whenever we met up at uh, the conference and stuff like that. And I was like, I only pump one, you know, but they're like, I mean, there's others, you know, it's, it's a growing market you know there's there's uh there's gonna be more people that join the the hardware wallet space i'm sure um and uh so well uh yeah i guess we could i mean you know, before we get you know too much uh before we kind of wrap this up we could talk about the what's going on with celsius um and uh you know as you by the way your thread was just so good with the 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 phrases you used and the humor. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, and, uh, you know, so you obviously had the here comes Corey, which, uh, you know, shout out to Corey, my fellow Corey gang. Um, I think there's one other person in Bitcoin named Corey and we're all, we're all joining and making a group and we're going to take down the bends, but, uh, you know, he does have an impeccable nose, as you said, for sniffing out shit coins and Ponzi schemes. Um, I think I tweeted and said, Whenever uh, Corey starts talking about a shitcoin or a scam, it's the equivalent of a movie executive getting a note that says Ronan Farrow is on the line um, because that's it's about to go down. And so NFTs, obviously, we all saw that uh, Luna and UST. Most of us saw that. But, you know, obviously there was some pomp and domping going out there. Uh, but. Uh, you know, Corey has been on this and then he brings up Celsius and I actually haven't paid much attention to this. So what exactly is going on with Celsius? Because this is way off my radar and probably most Bitcoiners. For sure. So I, I won't claim to be an expert, but I know some peripheral information, mm -hmm. uh, particularly from what Corey has been tweeting out. And so I'll summarize that here. Uh, similar to Binance and how Binance has a token and they're also an exchange. Um, Celsius is an exchange. Um, they, they deal pretty heavily in shitcoinery and they also they also have a token. Um, what, what's happening right now in my eyes is less so about the collapse of the Celsius token, because I'm pretty sure that's the shitcoin that's already in the toilet, but more so Celsius, the exchange. One of the uh, essentially what's happening right now is um, we mentioned higher rates, margin calls across the economy, essentially. Right. Um, you know, everybody's indebted to somebody else. And so everybody is saying, okay, pay up, okay, pay up, okay, pay up. And when people can't pay up, right, you, you have these defaults, which lead to more defaults, then it's essentially self-reinforcing the downside. That's a very oversimplified way of saying it. Um, but essentially that's that's a dynamic that's occurring in, a, in an environment of, of tighter monetary policy, higher rates. With an exchange like Celsius um, that isn't regulated whatsoever, uh, it can lend out far and away beyond um, what is keeping in reserves, right? As of right now, we have absolutely no idea um, the, the amount that Celsius, the exchange, is keeping in reserves from its depositors. And one of the signs of trouble that's come out with Celsius is they're now sending out emails to all of their customers offering, uh, I believe it's uh, $2,000 worth of Bitcoin for every $100 deposit. 
The only oh reason God. somebody does a promotion like that is if they've lent out way more than they, they should have and they're caught with their pants down and they're really desperate for new depositors any way they can. And even if it means offering them you know, this, this Bitcoin, which in my eyes is, is probably some sort of the liquid version of Bitcoin where, okay, you get $2,000, but you can't withdraw it because they need, they desperately need depositors. Yeah, it has to stay on. Yeah. And, and they're, they're basically, they're, they're strapped for liquidity. What does that tell you? And so what's going to happen with Celsius uh, in, in my eyes, it's, it's, it's a very imminent collapse. It's a classic example of what happens when you're lending, you know, basically every single depositor is a creditor, but in the case of crypto exchanges, it's completely unsecured, right? There's no FDIC to save you when the exchange goes bust. And it turns out that, you know, there, there's a run for the exits and the exits aren't there. We lent out the exits and that's what's happening right now. Um, you know, every single depositor is an unsecured creditor and on a, on a platform like Celsius, that's now uh, offering 20 times a reward for just putting in $100. Um, alarm bells should be going off for anybody that has anything in Celsius. Um, so, yeah. so I'd say get your money out while you can. This seems to be the next exchange going down with the ship. And that's just what we're going to continue to see, right? And in a realm of tighter monetary policy, uh, a lot of these deeply, deeply over, overextended banks, but also exchanges, but also businesses and sometimes countries um, are going to get blown up. And there's nobody to save these crypto exchanges. And so um, the blow up will be marvelous. Uh, it hurt a lot of people in the case of Luna, Luna and Terra. And so I, I'd really advise running for the exits because Celsius is an extremely over indebted exchange. They're very, very strapped for depositors. Um, and uh, this liquidity crunch is hurting them quite a bit. Yeah. If somebody is willing to give you $2,000 in exchange for $100, um, you better make sure that's a real a real exchange uh a, a real you know trade because i don't yeah, think that's happening charles ponzi and one of the funny things charles ponzi's house is actually in lexington which is like 15 minutes from me and so uh i'm thinking of making a trip out there tomorrow and, uh, and like taking a selfie in front of the house or something but that's exactly what charles ponzi's original schemes were he he would say i can double your money in, in two weeks i can double your money in 90 days whatever and uh and of course when, uh, you know, essentially he was just lending out money from new depositors to old depositors. And as long as that, you know, machine, machine kept going, um, you know, investors were happy. But the moment that more people want to withdraw than deposit, that's when you get caught with your pants down. And that's what you're seeing with Celsius. Yep. Um, yeah, crazy. Well, uh, I won't keep you too much uh, longer. I just uh, have one closing question. Um, I mean, well, well, this is not the closing question, but um, so, you know, you see is uh, you think Bitcoin is going to basically chop here uh, around for a little bit and, um, you know, the Fed's going to hike and it's going to be it's going to be an interesting summer. Um, so, you know, everybody uh, hang tight and do not take anyone else's financial advice. Just, you know, as I always tell people, don't use leverage, don't use money that you need in the next especially the next 12 months. Um, but like I always tell people, like take money that you can buy Bitcoin with it. You're not going to touch for four years and you're okay with it. Um, and in uh, this, none of this stuff, you should be numb to all this stuff. So uh, yeah, it could be a crazy summer. Um, but Joe, I got to ask you since you're a movie person and you might spawn a idea that I might close all my podcasts with from now on. But what is your favorite 
Bitcoin movie that's not about Bitcoin? Oh my gosh. That's a really good question. Hold up. I have a movies folder right here. Let me peruse through and see if I can pull, pull anything off the top. It's difficult on the spot questions. Okay. Yeah, I know. That's a, that's a pretty tough one. It, it just, I, mean, I keep seeing the once upon a time in Hollywood, which by the way, while you're looking, I would just mention, I mean, we went to me and my wife went to go see it in the movie theater. Um, we went away. It was like a baby moon before our, our second baby was born. And, uh, and, the one night it was rainy. So we were like, yeah, let's go to, um, let's go to the movies. I wanted to see it. Holy crap. Like I remember like halfway through the movie, just sitting there and kind of taking it in and thinking to myself, like, this is like Hollywood cinema. This is, this is what I love. This is why I got into the movie business is for movies like this. Um, so yeah, hundred percent, uh, great movie. And if anybody has not seen it, go check it out. I wish I could say it was on movies plus, but, uh, I think, be a little bit difficult uh, to get that one at the moment but uh but yeah so what's the movie any anything pop up in your head yes so i was gonna say goodfellas because it's right here but i will go a step deeper i'm staying with tarantino and i'll say reservoir dogs the reason i say reservoir dogs is because the the whole podcast up to this point we've been explaining this this dynamic of more expensive money and this, this default cascade across the economy is as bad debts get purged. And crypto exchanges, who are very, very overextended, and Luna was the first to go, it certainly won't be the last. Um, essentially, every single one of them is, is, die, is going to die a, a relatively quick um, and, and bloody uh, and, and merciless death. And what happened to every single one of the dogs in Reservoir Dogs? That's a bit of a loose connection there. Um, I but, like it. Yeah, but but uh, definitely I, I was thinking of something like very, very gruesome, doesn't hold back much. Every death is on screen, apart from apart from a couple um, reservoir dogs would probably have to be. it. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be quick and it's going to be painful for them and uh, kind of ugly. So, yeah, everybody batting the hatches and hold your Bitcoin uh, close to you and don't sell it. Well, uh, Joe, where can they find you on Twitter? Where are you most active and in what projects uh, should they be checking out? Absolutely. Most definitely. So you can find me on Twitter at Joe Consorti, first name, last name. I'm happy that I scooped it up, scooped it up in 2014. Very happy about that. Uh, as of right now, you could, uh, I'm working on the Bitcoin layer, which is essentially what we're trying to build to be the front page of Bitcoin. Uh, we, we provide best in class Bitcoin and macro education, research analysis and education. That's essentially what we're all about right now. We're working on some special projects that more will get announced soon in the upcoming days. So, so definitely keep posted on my Twitter. Subscribing to our publication is free on Substack. We have free posts as well as paid posts, but there's just uh, the same amount of signal within both of them. So definitely check both of those things out. Um, I'm definitely going to be commenting uh, more on Bitcoin and the macro landscape in the coming days and weeks. My general opinion to leave everybody with is that markets may have already done most of their puking. You're, you're seeing this with the two-year treasury catching a bid, indicating that investors across the board may have already priced in the effects of tightening. They may have already uh, priced in the uh, priced in lower inflation. So Bitcoin stands to potentially chop, potentially jump up a little bit. Um, as of right now, I'm of the opinion um, to essentially continue DCAing, sit and spot, macro landscape still relatively uncertain, but we'll keep you updated on my Twitter as well as the Bitcoin layer. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Joe, for coming on. I really appreciate it.
Absolutely, Corey, anytime.